Today my guest is Pastor Brian from Mount Gambier and he tells of his miraculous healing from glaucoma that confounded his doctor over 40 years ago, along with his wife Anne's complete healing from being paralysed from the waist down. He also talks about his travels to Kenya, Rwanda and Uganda and the many miracles he witnessed there through the power of prayer. Enjoy. Hello, Pastor Brian. Hello, Ben. How are you? I'm excellent. That's good. We're down at our Karakalinga camp, enjoying a lovely Easter down here in our caravan. Yes, I can see that because <laughs> so, I'm with you. <laughs> the, uh, I have to tell the audience that because I'm guessing we'll probably hear some noises outside the caravan yeah. of kids playing, etc. Um, can you believe, I, I reckon, I was thinking on the way over here, I think it's 35 years since we first met. Uh, it would be about that time when he was a young boy in... Uh, Mount Gambia. Yeah, when we moved to Mount, yes. Mount Gambia, and you were the pastor there, or still are a pastor there. That's and right. I think I was 12 years old. Yes. I reckon so. Oh, that tells everyone how old I am now. Yeah, that gives the gun away, doesn't it? <laughs> I was a young, nice boy then before I was uh, led astray by your younger son, Nathan. Yes, yes, I remember that incident. <laughs> anyway, it's, uh, it's good times. It's actually good to, you know, here we are 35 years later, and, you know, Nathan and I. Moved around various parts of the country uh, and then have reconnected uh, 35 years later and he lives down just a street away from me. Yeah, I, I wondered that as well, that the friendship was continued. And, I thought that was great. Yes, it is. It's really, really good that that, you know, could happen. Yeah. So. Now, your journey with God didn't start in Mount Gambier. It started before that up here in Adelaide, didn't it? Yes, yeah. So, so how did you come to follow God? Uh, first of all, I was never looking for God at all. Um, I didn't like religion because it always seemed hypocritical. Um, but uh, <clears throat> I had my wife, Anne, had an incurable disease and uh, that had come about from uh, the age of five and then turned into bronchiac disease at the age of 12. And uh, we moved from the UK to uh, Australia, to Adelaide, and uh, then to the Adelaide Hills. And that's uh, where we met a family and Graham and Maureen Hazeldine, and they've got to know them very well. And then after a couple of years, um, uh, Anne was uh, taken into hospital, which they believe was uh, a gallbladder, and uh, they removed that and then found there was nothing wrong with it. But at the same time, they found she was paralysed uh, from, shall we say, the top of the chest down. So was, it, was that as a result of the operation or...? <coughs> No one really knew at the time. Uh, they had absolutely no idea uh, what was the cause of it. And um, they'd done extensive tests, x-rays. They couldn't find anything. So uh, and was taken uh, to the Royal Adelaide Hospital. And uh, the specialist told me that they didn't have any idea what was actually wrong with her. And uh, she would just lay in hospital until something developed with which they could make a diagnosis. And this is on the paralysis. Yes. Yeah, right. uh, after visiting one evening, I went to see Maureen and Graham Hazeldine and uh, uh, just told them uh, what had happened because I had a, uh, another motive going there. I had a dog that was just due to have puppies that yeah. we had originally bought from him and uh, wanted him to look after it, which he agreed to. And then, of course, during the conversation, he spoke to me about the things of the Lord. And I will admit that... Uh, didn't understand I don't remember a thing that he said apart from the very last uh, sentence which was 
would you like us to pray for her? And I just said yes and would like that because I knew she still believed in God and I really classified myself somewhere between an atheist and a and an agnostic. So your accepting of them having prayer for her was not anything to do with what you believed. It was just you thought that would be a nice thing for Anne. Yes, yeah, yeah at the time, completely. And uh, because I knew she would appreciate it, and uh, they so did. How are you feeling about Anne's paralysis at this point? Were you, were you worried about it? Was it... Um, I admit I didn't know really what I was going to do because I had two uh, young children I worked for myself, so I had to continue to work. And I also had to visit um, and in the hospital. Uh, so I didn't really know how I was going to cope with that. And that is the reason I thought I'd take the dog over to start with. So the dog uh, was looked after. I really hadn't worked out a plan for what was going to do, what was going to happen at all. But they uh, prayed for Anne. And I believe it was at uh, one of their meetings. And I can remember going into the hospital and uh, the day after they had prayed uh, and as I turned uh, to walk down the corridor there was only one other person in the corridor and that was Anne right down the other end and she was walking towards me. And how many days had this been since, since the paralysis had come on? Uh, I can't remember exactly but it would have been oh, somewhere around about 10 or 14 days. Wow. Something like that anyway and when I uh, approached Anne. She just said to me, she said, I've been out of bed since first thing this morning walking. I'm weak, but I'm walking. So that was a, roughly the answer. Uh, there were actually two things um, that happened uh, after Anne had come out of hospital. One was the specialist said to her, in all my career, I have never, ever seen a person make a recovery like this before. And uh, he was so amazed as he was talking that he nearly fell off of his chair in amazement. <laughs> yeah, he did. He pushed his chair back and he just went, nearly fell off. And um, the second thing was, a number of years later, Anne had just gone to visit a local doctor and they just got talking about things. He said, oh, we actually know what that disease is that you had that caused the paralysis. And he said um, it's called Guillain-Barre syndrome and it affects people in different ways. And he fully understood all what had taken place. So it's not as... It really sort of made the issue more genuine to actually know what... Once you could give it a name and once yes. you knew the, the, yeah. the severity of it. That's mm. right. There's yeah. actually another lady here in, in our assembly here that's been healed of that as well. Yeah. Uh, as regards to glaucoma... Um, it was mid-1970s. Uh, I'd been to work. I cracked my head on a big plank as I was uh, coming out. <clears throat> Nearly knocked me unconscious. Uh, for the next two weeks after that, I had uh, continuous headaches. Not severe, but just enough to know that they were there. I decided to uh, go and see the doctor. Uh, my wife, Anne, said, why don't you pray about it and be healed? And I said, well, I don't want to do that. It's... Uh, if I say I got, I prayed and was healed of a headache, I said that's not really giving the Lord much glory because people say, well, I had a headache and it just went away. And I thought, oh, if there's um, something more serious, and I was thinking like of a clot, and uh, then I could, it was something I could really glorify the Lord in. And uh, one of the reasons was my younger brother had worked with a young fella 
and he'd hit his head at work and appeared to be okay, called up for national service and after a few weeks there just suddenly collapsed and died. The reason was the clot in his head had moved and it had killed him. And I was aware of this and uh, thought, oh, you know, if that has happened to me and I get healed, I can really praise the Lord. So I <clears throat> went to see the doctor, was told I had a glazing over the eyes, uh, but everything else was okay. And if it continued to go back and they would do more tests. Uh, a few days later, I came home from work and Anne said, uh, tonight we're going down to the Lions uh, to their holding a screening for glaucoma. And there I was tested and they diagnosed me with glaucoma and uh, waited until it had all passed and then done the test again and confirmed it and was told immediately to go and see the doctor, which I did two days later. And this was interesting because... Uh, when I went in and told him, he just said, oh, the Lions Club go overboard uh, with this, but while you're here, we might as well give you a test. And uh, when he had done the test, his words were, uh, the pressure on the eye is way above normal. You better see a specialist straight away, uh, which I did. Um, and he confirmed it. And then he said, come back next week and we'll do more tests. And uh, so just to see exactly how bad it is. My answer was... Uh, Thank you, doctor. I'll go away and pray about it and be healed. And he said, no, you won't. I said, I will. I know <laughs> two people that have already been healed. And I said, I know what the Lord will do for me. I uh, went to a, just a small house meeting of 12 people. And uh, along with other prayer requests for other people, I was healed instantly. And I can still remember where I was standing to this day. I went back to see the specialist. Uh, he examined me. And he just went, oh, nothing wrong with you. And I said, well, I told you this would happen. <laughs> I told you so. <laughs> <laughs> and so he said, well, you might as well go home. He actually opened the door for me. And uh, halfway out when he stopped me and said, oh, would I come back um, in six months' time, which I did. Well, it's actually seven months. He examined me again. And he said, now I've got to believe this. And um, he said, your eyesight's perfect. It's what we call 5-5. Five, five. So uh, and we sat down and he had his, my card before him with his pen in his hand. And he just, uh, he didn't know what to write on there. And I was partly grinning to myself, thinking, you just do not know what to write. <laughs> well, he's probably never had an experience That's ever right. where he no. can't explain what's happened. No, he, he, it's obvious that uh, that was it. And with that, he looked up and at me and he said, oh, do you mind if I write healed by prayer? And I just said, no, doctor, that will do me fine. He, he said, if I hadn't have seen this, I never, ever would have believed it. And he started to ask me where I went to church, had I seen other people healed. And he even said that um, if he wasn't uh, going to uh, Europe or to the UK, at uh, the end of the week, he would come along to a meeting and have a look. And it was obvious that he had been just impressed by what had happened. I've never had any reoccurrence. I've had eye tests done, and they show absolutely no sign of it at all. I hardly ever wear glasses apart from close-up reading, either nighttime or morning or in dark places. But normal, I can still read the newspaper. We just need to provide some context to the listeners that you are 80 years old. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Natural back 80 years of old age two days ago. So. 
What's and amazing, I'm just reading here from the glaucoma uh, website, which talks about the effects of glaucoma. They talk about uh, damage progresses slowly and destroys vision gradually, starting with peripheral vision. The early vision loss often goes undetected, since, which was the same in your case, yeah. you, you wouldn't have known. This early vision loss often goes undetected since the other eye can usually initially cover for the loss, and it may not be noticed until a significant uh, amount of nerve fibres have been destroyed. Damaged cause is irreversible and will progress unless treated. And treatment is drops or surgery yeah. or laser surgery. Uh, treatment cannot be restore, cannot restore lost vision, um, but may halt or slow down the damage process. Yeah. Here you are. How many years ago was that now? Uh, it was uh, the mid-1970s. Okay, so that's 40-odd years yeah. ago yeah. Uh, with no symptoms, signs, anything. That's right. It's just Nothing such at all. a miracle. I do get eye tests done once every year because of my age. It's part of the... Part system of the, part of driving <laughs> test too i imagine and uh yeah driving test is uh last one i had was only a couple of months ago perfectly okay i um i love the fact when you were first having those headaches that you really held on to the fact that no no i want to get uh, i want to get diagnosed of what it is so that i've got a great miracle and a great story to tell of god's power healing power and here you are you know 40 years later with with exactly that a great testimony yeah. Well, I did because partly the reason was, and this is where the verse of Scripture comes in, is that I'd been to a meeting. I'd heard uh, Pastor Jock Duncan preaching on uh, the blind man in uh, John chapter 9, and it was verse 3. Normally we share the Scripture at the end, but why don't we share it now? Um, and this is the verse. It says, uh, I'll read the second verse so you get the context. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. And it was that point mm. that I could not get out of my mind, and I wondered why. I kept uh, just thinking about it, thinking about it. And of course, uh, uh, when I was diagnosed, I suddenly realized why, that this now applied to my situation, and uh, this is exactly what I wanted. And uh, so this is why. I suppose the thought was provoked that I really wanted to give glory to the Lord for what he'd done. And that's what we're doing right now. That's yeah. fantastic. So praise the Lord. Yeah. Okay, listeners, time for a little plug. If you're enjoying hearing the amazing stories of what God is doing in people's lives today, then I've got something for you. In June of this year, 2019, the Revival Fellowship is holding their international convention right here in Adelaide. The theme of the convention is, What's Your Story? We're going to have a lot of visitors from all over the world, and many will share their stories of hope, of miraculous healing, of joy and of profound happiness that a life with God brings. So from the 8th to the 10th of June, 2019, we invite you to join us right here in Adelaide, Australia, to find out what's your story. Head over to www.whatsyourstory.me to find out more information or to register for this year's convention. Look forward to seeing you there. Now, one of the podcasts that I recorded recently was with Pastor Sammy from Kenya. Yeah. Uh, and uh, you guys know each other pretty well. Yes. And yeah. his story relates to your story and your story relates to his story. Yes. How did it come to be that you spent a fair bit of time in Africa from little old Mount Gambier in South Australia? 1989, a chap in our fellowship in Mount Gambier, Bob Hutton, who's now a pastor, 
had uh, who was born in Kenya had gone back, and through that a number of people had been baptised and filled with the Holy Spirit. 1990, Bob was to go back again, but nobody would go with him, and I was asked uh, to go back, and so I went, and uh, through that I got to know Pastor Sammy very well, just from that very first visit. And it was uh, rather strange because uh, when I first sat down to talk to him, uh, we were just one-on-one, even though there was other people there. And he simply said to me, are you married? And I said, yes. Do you have children? Yes. How old? I said, oh, my eldest is 26. And he said, is he married? I said, no. He said, I'm 26 and I'm not married. He said, I be your son. (laughs) And... uh, It was as though suddenly we had gelled for some reason. There'd been this bond put there, and that has continued over, well, from 1990 right up till today, going back for nearly year after year, right up until 2015, virtually. It has just strengthened the relationship, got to know his wife and all the children and that very, very well, and it's just... It's as though we're all part of one big family naturally as well as spiritually. Spiritually, yeah. And that bond of the spirits an amazing thing. It's almost impossible to describe it to people that don't have it. So what's that, about 25 years you were sort of travelling? Yes, it would be 25 years, yeah. I can imagine you've seen a a lot of amazing things over there. Oh, yes. Uh, One that always does stand out in my mind was that same year, 1990. We had been to uh, Pastor Sammy's home village place called Kisikini. When we arrived on a Saturday morning, it was drizzling with rain. People, Most people were still working in the fields and we were told they would not be home till after lunch. So we amused ourselves putting on the blinkers and the headlights because they had never, some of them had never seen a car before, ever seen a white man. Wow. And uh, they were just stunned. But uh, in the afternoon, the people came. At the end of this meeting, a number of people wanted to be prayed for, to be healed, and to receive the Holy Spirit. And the one that really, really stood out was a young man called Benjamin, who was 18 years of age. He, His mother brought him forward, and she said ever since he was born, he'd suffered excruciating pains in the head, as though someone's sticking a knife in there and wriggling it around. Wow. And she said, he, I've tried everything hospitals, witch doctors, local herbs and medicines, all the doctors, hospitals, all the other churches, just everything. Uh, But he's still exactly the same. But listening to you people, she said, I believe he uh, can be healed. So he was prayed for and uh, he was healed while they were still praying. And the mother who was standing about uh, a couple of metres away, and there were tears running down her face. I can imagine. And uh, she said, he's been healed. She said, I can see it in him. And ha- So how old was the boy at this stage? 18, 18 years of age. Yeah, right. He went on to receive the Holy Spirit, and then the mother went on to receive the Holy Spirit, and they were both uh, baptised the next day. It was uh, six years later. Uh, I was there on my own, and he came up to me, and he said, oh, do you remember me? And he said, I'm Benjamin. And I said, yes. I do remember you. And he said, since that day, I've never, ever suffered again uh, with that issue. Uh, last time I saw him would have been, can't remember the exact year, but it would have been round about 2012, 2014. And of course, he was grown up and married. And he said he's still never, ever suffered with that disease again. 
Wow. And it was quite a remarkable testimony to many of the other people in the area who naturally would have known his condition. Yeah, of course they would, And yeah. what they'd suffered. And uh, so we just really had a great time uh, that afternoon and the next day uh, with the people there. But the other thing is, uh, through it, is um, it made a change in people's lives, very much so, because what Bob and I did not know was that we were actually being watched by the sub-chief. He got his men out watching us, no matter where we went. In the beginning, or just generally while you were no, over there? No, this or? was in the first year we were there. Okay. And uh, spoke to Pastor Meshach about it, and uh, he said that he wouldn't do anything because he could see we were not causing trouble. But the following year... Um, my wife Anne came with me and we we're driving down this track and um, Pastor Meshach said, oh, stop here. I want you to meet this man who was coming towards us. We spoke to him for a little while and said hellos and shook hands and <clears throat> off we went. And he said, that's the sub-chief uh, that was watching you last year. And we did not know this. Yeah. He said, but last year he did not want you here, but this year he welcomes you back because he said the people that we were dealing with, he has seen such a change in them for the better. Yeah, right. And he wants that to continue on. Yeah, fantastic. And that has been the approach generally throughout the whole of Africa. Mm. And that type of thing happened in Zambia as well. Yeah. In an area called Silunga where the chief, and he was more than the chief, he was actually a king oh, right. um, of the raw that. Because they have a number of royal families. He was one, and he was so impressed, invited us into his house to talk to him. Mm. And in natural fact, he and I got good friends. I used to pick him up and take him to the meeting. <laughs> yeah. I imagine, uh, are they wary of Westerners coming over to try and you know, do good, or the ulterior motives of Westerners that come over? Is that is that why they're cautious? Or In many places, yes. Mm. Um I think it's because you could go back originally to colonial days and they're trying to, of course, shed all of that and to see white people come in unless they themselves have invited them in. But just for people to come in on their own, they wonder, you know, have they got other motives and all this sort of thing. And um, But generally out in the villages, because uh, it's the gospel, we're very warmly received for example in rwanda after the genocide they were cautious naturally you know it's quite a few years later yeah but one area there they someone complained about us so they sent four people around to find out what we was about and there was a local person there was uh, an area inspector there was a policeman and there was uh, an inspector of the whole area and when we'd finished he just turned around and said i thank you very much for being here he said i can see that people have changed he said well, I'm grateful, he said, because now I don't have to get out of bed at two o'clock in the morning. <laughs> he said that, and he was looking at um, some people in particular. He said, I used to have to get up and break their fights up. He said, but I don't have to do that now. Their testimony just stands out, I imagine, yeah. amongst. Yeah, and so things have, uh, you know, the ch or put it this way, the change has been great in people's lives and uh, so as I said you warmly receive people look forward to you going back because it's not that they really want to in a sense to be with you yes they welcome you but it's they know that what you're telling them is the truth because they have personally received it and they've got this relationship with the Lord exactly the same as what we have. Mm. And this has been the same in every country. I could mention two or three other healings and all this. Uh, and I know one which has been more recently was actually in Uganda. I've been to a rural area. This was the first time. 
and Pastor Jim Rogers was there and we was in this small room about half the size of a no about the size of a caravan and we had about 30 odd people all crammed in there <laughs> I'm, lo- I'm looking around our caravan going it's not, not fitting 30 people <laughs> and, in here very uh, comfortably one of these was uh, a young lady in her early 20s and all of a sudden uh, this lady just stood up started screaming and threw herself through the air landed on people and fighting and kicking and they wrestled with her and finally calmed her down we were praying away. Uh, it turned out that uh, she had some form of sickness. I, I do not know whether it was epilepsy or what, uh, but the local people all knew this lady. And uh, and so they'd seen this before. Yeah, yeah they'd right. seen all this before. Yeah. And then later on in the day, she'd done it again. But once again, we had more prayer. We finished our meetings, went home, came back next day. And there's this lady there again. In between time, they back, we'd baptised a few people, but we could only be there in the morning. And we just spoke to the people, just normally, then left. And then I'd heard afterwards that this lady had been totally healed. She'd never had these seizures again. Her pastor, Joseph from Kenya, had been there. Because when I asked, he just said, no, she was totally and completely healed. Wow. Reminds, so, me, reminds me of that story. I think it's in here in Mark in chapter 9. Where it talks about you know, how long is it ago since this came unto him. And he said, of a child, and oft times he cast himself into the fire and into yeah. the waters. Wow. But, uh, it, you know, you can... There's a number of things that have happened, mm. and it's just been wonderful to see it and being part of it. And uh, the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, it's amazing when you hear, you know, you're, you're 80 years old now. This has been a 40 plus year journey for you. It must be hard to reconcile the, that guy who, you know, in the very beginning didn't believe in churches, didn't believe in Christianity, thought it was a b- bunch of hypocrisy. Yeah. It must be hard to reconcile that person with who you are today, all of the things and the amazing things that you've seen in the last 40-plus years. It is. I mean... Does your family, have they seen that change in you? Do they recognise that? Well, coming from the UK, nobody else in my family ever came to yeah. the UK. Uh, but my mother, my father, and two brothers and their wives, and I were, was able to talk to them before they, my immediate family passed away. And they all knew that there was something different. My mother's words once were, I don't know what it is, but you've got something. And, and but she said, your father and I don't want anything to do with it. And that was it. Couldn't get through to to any other member of the family at all, even on Anne's side, her parents, and that wouldn't listen. So we're the white sheep in the eyes of the law, but the black sheep in the eyes of the family. Yeah, you know? exactly. Uh, We've well, got a very broad family that spans the globe, haven't oh, yes. you? Now, yeah, including now. your other son, Sammy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. And. Clearly, the Lord had a, a great calling for you, both uh, locally here in uh, in Adelaide and Mount Canberra, as well as over there. So. That's right. Yeah, there's no end to it. Mm-hmm. So, if I was to go back to Africa, for example, and go to any of the fellowships in any of the countries I've been, uh, I would be, just be welcomed in as just one of the family, because that is the bond uh, that the Spirit gives us. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Amen. Well, thanks for sharing your story. Only too gladly. Fantastic. Thanks. Thanks. Dr. Darren, welcome to Revival on the air today. Thank you, Ben. So this is a new snippet that we're doing where 
we want to get your opinion on what's uh, what's happened in some of the testimonies that we hear. Now, you're a uh, practicing uh, GP. Yeah. How long have you been a GP for? 15 years. 15 years. And you practice um, with a a group of other GPs? Yeah, down at Brighton. We've recently had a couple of healing seminars here in Woodcroft and you've got up after people have told their testimonies and just talked through the medical diagnosis uh, of their illnesses and then more importantly um, how the medical fraternity looks at uh, what's happened to them uh, when they've been healed. So Really love to get your insight today on Pastor Brian Allen's testimony, um, and in particular his uh, diagnosis and healing from uh, glaucoma and from uh, his his wife Anne's healing from paralysis. So what can you tell us about glaucoma? So I guess probably before I start talking about glaucoma, as a global thing, often I listen to these testimonies and there's a one or two or three critical points where what the person is saying in their testimony really steps through where God's intervened and changed the path of what would usually happen. And so particularly talking about Pastor Brian's story of glaucoma is a sort of illness that we know that once you've got it, you've got it. It's not something that can be really be misdiagnosed, particularly not on the multiple occasions that he had it tested. And so once it's there, there are several treatment options that do work really effectively. And what are those treatment options normally? So it's either daily eye drops okay. and you continue them for the rest of your life. Yep. Or in the old days, it used to be a surgical procedure. Now that procedure can be done by laser. Yeah, okay. And they, they are curative procedures, so you don't need to continue medication after them. So do they? So if you're taking drops for the rest of your life, is that, does that halt the damage to the eye that the glaucoma has caused, or does it reverse it, or what does it do? So it just halts the damage. So the okay. idea of the drops is to bring the pressure back to the normal range yep. so that you're not essentially crush injury damage to the back of the eyeball stops. Yeah, okay. So we know obviously that Pastor Brian didn't take drops for the rest of his life. That was 40 years ago. Yes. Nor did he have uh, laser surgery. Is there any other thing other than a miracle by God that you can put it down to? No, there's not. Mm. And that's why I think that's that's really brought out in the story of the specialist who was very confused about what did he write in his medical notes. Okay. <laughs> Because I can imagine I guess the poor guy. I, I became a Christian before I started medical school. Okay. And even going through medical school, you're expected to learn a lot of science and it all needs to step through and it needs to all add up. And so the progression is you take a history, you do an examination, you order whatever tests you need, you make a diagnosis, and then that carries through into what treatment that person needs. And when things don't line up, that gets quite confronting for people. Mm, I can imagine. And as a Christian, we know we see things that don't line up and that's fine. We can deal with them. But as a doctor, you're actually not trained to deal with that. Is, is that because there's generally always an answer? Interestingly, there's generally not always an answer. Yeah, okay. And in fact, in general practice, I spend a lot of my day dealing with uncertainty. Mm. And I suspect that being a Christian and being used to not having to have the answer because God does... Mm has actually made that job a bit easier at times. But we're taught to always look for an answer. So in medicine, if you're speaking to a doctor, they're trying to work out what's wrong and therefore how do I use science and how do I use my research and my evidence to change that situation. Mm. And what about in the case of his wife Anne's healing? Uh, So initially, obviously, they didn't know what it was and it wasn't until later that they, after she was healed, that they uh, diagnosed it with a Guillain-Barre syndrome. Guillain-Barre syndrome. Yeah which is a progressive paralysis syndrome, that it does, again, it gets better by itself eventually, but it's generally a gradual progression to getting worse. And 
if you're lucky, that getting worse stops before you need to be put on a breathing machine. Right. Wow. So it's that serious. It can actually go right through to the respiratory muscles so you can't breathe for yourself. Mm -hmm. And then a period of time, weeks slash months, at sort of a static, stable level, and then a gradual improvement. Mm. So there's two parts in that story that, that don't really add up to what we'd expect in medical science. And the first is the timeline which is far shorter, and the second is and, the... And that timeline was dramatic, wasn't it? Was it? Because ten, it was the, 10 to 14 days from start to finish. Hmm. But it was also, there was no gradual progression of getting better because she was in the hospital one day with severe symptoms yes. and then was up and walking and healed the next day. Yeah, and I've talked to both Pastor Ryan and about this situation hmm. in the past, and it really was a very much an instantaneous process mm. from being bed bound and very low strength, not a, not even actually able to move her torso, and so not able to move around in bed, to being able to get up and walk. Mm. And even 10 to 14 days of bed being stuck in bed, you become extremely weak. And we'd expect somebody, in sort of standard medical circles, if somebody had spent two weeks in bed, we'd expect a fair bit of rehab. So for her to be walking around for most of that day and the instantaneous fashion of that change are things that don't really add up with what we'd expect in medicine. Mm. Wow, fantastic. Well, thanks for giving us some clarity uh, from a, a doctor's point of view, um, but then also from uh, your Christian point of view too. Uh, it's uh, it's great to see that God continues to confound the wise right, in, uh, in the world's eyes. Um, but uh, his, uh, his grace is so simple, isn't it? It is very much mm. so. Amen. Well, thank you very much, Ben. What a remarkable story Pastor Brian has to tell. Can you just imagine what his and his wife Anne's life would be like if they didn't have God in it, let alone all the people in Africa he's witnessed to and prayed for over many years? Would you like God to have an impact in your life like he's impacted Pastor Brian's life and those around him? Then send me an email, podcast at revivalontheairtoday.com or head over to our website to find out what the Bible says, www.therevivalfellowship.com. Until next time, God bless.